1: Betty Davis.
4: Hello. Did you ever go back to a place that you'd known and loved as a child? And was it just a little less attractive than it had seemed in your memory? The lake had become a pond somehow, and the mountains were rolling hills, and the house that seemed a mansion to young eyes was a bungalow of narrow proportions. As Quinn Pearson walked along the street that afternoon, he wasn't thinking of the past. He was thinking of a deal he'd just put over. His mind was a million miles away as he turned the corner. Oh, 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 sorry. Oh, no, no,
5: no, it's all my fault. I was absorbed in my thoughts and I, 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 Why, I, I can't believe it's you. Me? I, I'm 46, almost middle-aged, but you're just as young and radiant as you were 20 years ago. I think I must be dreaming.
6: Oh, no, you're not. It's happened to me over and over again. You knew my mother, didn't you?
5: You're Regina Milford's daughter?
6: Of course. I'm Marion Milford.
5: But Regina Milford lives on the West Coast. She's in the cosmetic business, and you... I'm
6: going to school here in the city, a summer course. This is perfectly crazy,
5: isn't it? Entirely crazy. Uh, My name's Quinn Pearson.
6: Oh, I've heard Mother talk about you so many times.
5: Editors say there's no such thing as coincidence, but... If I'd taken a cab instead of walking this afternoon, if you'd turned down another street... We
6: wouldn't have collided. Uh, I'm glad you walked. So glad.
5: Uh, look, uh, may I buy you a cup of coffee or a soda or something?
6: Why, of course you may. I think it would be very exciting. We can talk about Mother.
4: When Quinn arrived at his house in the suburbs, Far later than the usual hour, he was a man demused. He came through the door and slung his hat on the hall table, and Daisy, his wife, emerged from the living room and stood staring at him. One time I have a roast of beef, you... What is it, Quinn? You look
2: strange. Don't you feel well?
5: Oh, I, I, I feel fine. Daisy, you've heard me speak of Regina Milford.
2: Only about two billion times. Whenever you see an ad for Regina Milford products, you rave and rant about her. Whenever her picture's published, you rub it in that she hasn't changed one iota and that I have.
6: Well,
5: I, 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 I met her daughter today.
6: I didn't know she had a daughter.
5: Well, neither did I until today. I was walking down the street, Daisy. I turned the corner and wham, bang, there she was.
2: Well, what's she like? How old is she?
5: Oh, she's 19. A beautiful, dewy 19. Exactly like her mother.
2: Heaven forbid. I thought the Milford factory was on the west coast. I thought Regina Milford had a big house out Beverly Hills
5: way. Well, Marion's going to summer school right here in the city. I've, uh, I've asked her out for the weekend, Daisy. I hope you don't mind.
2: Yeah, I hope I don't either. But I can't tell until I see her. Well, why do you stand there in the middle of the rug like a man who's been frozen? Why, I, I haven't been frozen. I. I had a.
5: I'll take a shower, I guess, and change into another suit.
2: Oh, no, you won't. Hmm? You'll eat your roast beef before it's burned to a crisp. No time for showers. No time for changing suits. No time for... Lynn, why are you staring through me as if I'm a pane of glass? Oh, I, I was thinking of something else. Are you sure it wasn't someone else? Are you sure of that? <laughs>
6: Uh, Heroin and stuff, yeah, but like uh, pills and stuff, if they're not really too far gone, you can't tell by looking at them that they're really loaded or something. It's just, there's no way. Now, 36 men
5: break down to three squads of 12 men each. These men sleep at a distance of 30 inches apart, one bunk on top of the other. You cannot breathe in the service if your buddy doesn't know about it. There is no such thing as not being able to tell because this is this this is not like in the service this is something if you've never been in there i can not explain it to you but there's no such thing as any kind of a secret in the service you're both wrong
6: why
1: Back to our story with Betty Davis.
4: It isn't often that a man meets his dream walking, but that's what had happened to Quinn Pearson. Marion Milford, the name kept ringing in his mind as he ate Daisy's excellent dinner, and the ringing continued all the next day, and then Friday came, and he met Marion at the railroad terminal, and they rode out together on a commuter's train. Daisy was waiting at the station with the car. And after she and Marion had been introduced...
2: I don't wonder Quinn almost fell on his face when he saw you, Marion.
4: You look exactly like
6: your mother. I've seen her pictures, dozens of times. Mother's kept her looks. Of course, she's had an easy life. And all the cosmetics she wants for nothing.
2: (laughs) Well, I was tattish enough to hope that her pictures had been retouched to the limit. (laughs) Now, step in the car, Marion, and we'll be on our way. (laughs) Quinn... Mm -hmm. Marion's bag on the back seat. Mm -hmm. The three of us can sit up front. You haven't said a single word. Marion and I have been doing all the talking, haven't we, dear?
4: A nice woman, Daisy. She'd invited a young man in for dinner and bridge. He was taken with Marion. Who wouldn't be? But Marion seemed to be concentrating on Quinn. Daisy was a worried woman. The Saturday stretched out into an endless period of time. Quinn and Marion went golfing in the morning. They had luncheon at the country club. They were home in the middle of the afternoon, ready for cool drinks and canapes, which Daisy served on the porch. Iced tea.
2: Marion's really too young for anything else. Oh, she's not as young as you think, Daisy. Mm-hmm.
5: I mean, she has a very clever head on her beautiful shoulders. I mean, the men in the locker room are all talking about her. They thought she was a knockout.
6: You mustn't say such things in front of me, or you'll turn my very clever head.
5: As if you haven't had a million compliments.
2: <laughs> How does it happen to you that your mother never came east?
6: Oh, she does, quite often.
5: Oh, uh, she never called me because... Uh... <laughs> I can't repeat you what Mary said.
6: Well, I can tell you what I said, Mrs. Pearson. Said that Mother had no idea Quinn was still so attractive. I suppose Mother's been using Daddy as the basis of comparison. He's sort of gone downhill. Oh, careful, you careful, Marion. You'll turn the not so clever
2: head on my husband's children. Oh, that was
5: unnecessary, Daisy.
2: Why, Quinn, you sound as if you're cross.
3: You are cross. <laughs>
4: was a dance civic club in town on Saturday. The boy who'd played bridge on Friday acted as technical escort for Marion, but it was Quinn with whom she danced constantly while Daisy sat on the sidelines. There were many attractive young men at large. One by one, they met Marion, but she always reverted to Quinn. What's her game? Wondered Daisy. She didn't do much sleeping that night, and the next morning while she was preparing breakfast, Waffles.
2: Good. don't look so surprised, Quinn. We always have waffles on Sunday Mm. morning. Well, what's on the program for today?
5: Well, I suppose you're going to church. Of course. I think I'll skip it today. I believe I'll take Marion to the beach and get an early start.
2: You'll get sunburned. You know how you suffer when you get sunburned. Oh, well, I, I... You have the start of a burn already. You picked it up yesterday playing golf. And uh, Marion will want to go swimming to show off that picture of hers, but it's too early for swimming, and you haven't much of a figure. Oh,
5: when uh, women say things like that, they're apt to alienate their husbands, Daisy. The average middle-aged woman stops trying... Stop trying what? Stops trying to please her husband. Stops trying to make herself attractive for him. Regina, Marion's mother, is never let down. Marion says she is always the picture
0: of perfection.
2: I remember a remark of Mary, and she made it yesterday afternoon. She said her father had sort of gone downhill. Must be a strain on a man living with a picture of perfection. Sometimes the picture frame has sharp edges. Oh, you know what you are. Yes, your wife. And don't you forget it either, Quinn Pearson.
4: But even so, Quinn took Marion to the beach and Daisy came home from church and sat down in the living room and tried to think things out. But she was smiling when Quinn and Marion reappeared till the end of the afternoon. Quinn looked like a lobster. He sneezed twice and wanted very little for dinner. However, Marion ate a huge meal. Oh, the beach gave me an appetite. You're such a marvelous
6: cook, Mrs. Pearson. Mother's had a succession of terrible cooks this last year. Well, they conditioned me for the hotel where I'm staying. The food's atrocious. Look, Marion, I have a suggestion. Yes? As
2: you'll be here for the whole summer, there's
6: no reason why you should
2: suffer in town. So why not be our guest? You mean it? Really? Yes, dear. Well,
5: it's awfully nice of you, Daisy, but uh, are you sure you
2: mean it? Of course, Quinn. I never say things I don't mean you should understand me by this time.
4: Marriott went to the city on the commuter's train with Quinn the next morning. She came out bag and baggage with Quinn that evening. And the following day and evening it was the same, and so on for a week. And when Friday night came.
6: Is tomorrow, Quinn? Well, perhaps. <laughs>
5: oh,
2: uh, that cold you caught on Sunday seems to be getting worse,
5: dear.
6: If you play golf, you'll sweat it out.
5: Uh, oh, uh,
2: perhaps you're right.
6: And then on Sunday, we can go to the beach, the same as we did last week, right?
2: Well, I'm still peeling, Mary, and I... Well, you'll peel all I, summer, I, Quinn, unless you really follow through with the sun. Or let it follow you.
5: Well, you... You went to church alone last Sunday. I think I should go with you this Sunday.
2: And you'll still have time to go to the beach later. So, you see, Quinn, you're hooked. And even though I hate to do it, I must admit... But the bait very attractive.
5: (laughs) You know I can't understand you, Daisy. Excuse me. If if you and Marion will excuse me, I must go upstairs and get another (laughs)
3: hankerchief.
1: In just a moment, Betty
0: Davis will be back. This might sound a little confusing at first, but if you heard of a library having been woven well, you might credit the United States Officers' Wives Club, formerly at Wheelis Air Base, for inventing the idea. The women got interested in a school for some 300 homeless boys under the jurisdiction of the Libyan government. The school had native teachers, but had precious little in the way of essential educational aids. The fact they didn't have a library started the wheels of progress in motion. The Officers' Wives Club could easily have raised a fund for books, but members decided this wasn't the sensible thing to do under the circumstances. The boys were just learning to read and write, and it would take a while before they could use a library and realize its value. So instead of books, the club bought the school a loom and a supply of yarn. The plan called for the boys to learn how to weave barracan, the soft cloth used by native women to make dresses, and a popular fabric with Westerners who managed to visit Libya. Proceeds from initial sales of the material were invested in more yarn until a sizable stock existed. Then the school diverted the profits for books. Not only did the boys help earn their own library, but they also got vocational training in weaving. One of the wives of the club was asked how they happened to hit on this particular idea. She replied, it just evolved. Elaborating a bit, she explained that the members of the club thought it was a good step toward getting Libya's future citizens to recognize the fact that Americans wished them well and that they were willing to do what they could to help their immediate needs. Plainly, she added, we can do with more knowing in North Africa these days. Yes, these homeless boys of Libya can hold their heads up and be proud they had the chance to earn their own library and keep it growing with a loom and a supply of yarn. These United States officers' wives gave us all a thought to remember. We are Americans. As we go, so goes America. (coughs)
1: Back to our story with Betty
4: Davis. The weeks wore on. Almost a month had passed. Marion and Quinn went into the city and came out from it every workday. Weekends, they played golf and tennis in the broiling sun. They went to the beach over and over again. One Saturday evening, Quinn came wearily upstairs while his wife was cold creaming her face. Oh. Daisy, what's that
5: you're
2: using? A special vanishing cream.
5: Oh, vanishing cream. I only wish... What do
2: you wish? Oh, uh, nothing. That's better. You're having the most glamorous summer any middle-aged man ever had, dear. Marion gets prettier every day. Yes, doesn't she? I don't like to interfere. Oh,
5: we interfere all you want, Daisy, please.
2: What I was going to say, I'd stick to golf if I were you. When you come in from tennis today, you looked as if you were going to have a stroke. Oh. And I don't want you to have a stroke because you're very valuable to me.
5: Well, nobody'd suspect it from the way you're acting, Daisy.
2: The way I'm acting?
6: Quinn,
2: <laughs> be your age.
6: It was just
4: a week later that the telephone rang one evening. Quinn rose to answer it. He and Marion had been playing Scrabble. Daisy was in some other part of the house. He talked for a moment, replaced the receiver, and turned to Marion. Marion?
5: She's at the airport.
4: Who's at the airport? Uh,
5: your mother. I'd have let you talk to her on the phone, but she said there was a line waiting, and she'd be here in a few minutes anyhow. I offered to drive over and pick her up, but she said she'd rather take a cab. Well,
6: I heard you offered to pick someone up, but I didn't dream it was Mother. I wonder what she's doing here.
5: Well, you'll know in a little while. Daisy? Oh, Daisy?
6: What is it, Quint? And guess what, Mrs. Pearson? Mother's on her way out to this house. She
5: phoned from the airport.
6: Why? Why, how wonderful. The only thing better than one Milford is two Milfords. Well, that's a sweet thing to say, Mrs. Pearson. Sometimes I think you're a sweeter person than Quinn. He's been awfully edgy for a couple of weeks. I don't know what's got into him. (laughs)
4: Wilford came into the Pearson living room. A well his woman, with skin stretched tightly over firm bones, with a smile that looked as if it were lacquered on. She kissed her daughter on the cheek. She kissed Quinn on the cheek. You could tell she didn't want to smudge her lipstick. She shook hands with Daisy. You've been so wonderful to my
2: little girl, Miss Pearson. Well, I've enjoyed every minute of it, and so has Quinn, and so have I, Mother. Yes, dear, It's been a lovely interlude for you. Having someone to take your places and do things with you. And no excuse for Rodney to be jealous. Yes, no excuse she... Rodney. Oh, what a daughter I have. Didn't she tell you, either of <laughs> you, that she's engaged to be married? No.
5: Well, oh, that's, that's one thing she omitted.
2: That's why she never dated any young men since she's been here. Now, Marion, aren't you ashamed of yourself? Why didn't you tell these nice people that you were going to be married?
6: Nobody asked me.
2: It's true. Nobody asked you. The letters she wrote me about you, Quinn, they were lyric. Oh, I hope you don't mind my saying that, Mrs. Pearson, but Quinn might have been Marion's father. I'd used my head some years ago. <gasps> what a charming thing to say. But I'm glad he isn't her father. If he were, you see, he wouldn't be my husband. Mm-hmm. You should take a bow, Quinn. <laughs> he isn't up to taking bows. He's had a hard week in the mines.
5: Yes, and a great many very hard weekends.
2: Well, next weekend will be a long one. It's the 4th of July weekend. You and Marion can whoop it up. Oh, no, I'm taking Marion back to the city with me after dinner.
6: I don't want her to wear out
2: her welcome. And then, too, it'll be easier to stay at a hotel while we're trousseau shopping. What about my school? Oh, you might just as well give up that silly school, dear. Yes, she might at that. She won't need much education from now on. Marriage is an education in itself. <laughs>
4: who drove Virginia Milford and her daughter to the station that evening. Quinn said he'd relaxed in the porch swing and let her do the honor. On her way back from the station, she went through the main street of the village and saw that the lights were on in Felix Hogarth's general store. And our impulse stopped in. The old man looked up from the ledger on which he was working.
5: Ah, well, Mrs. Pearson, it is a surprise to see you at this hour
2: well, that goes for you,
5: too. What are you doing here so late?
2: Oh, I'm trying to figure the profit and the loss, and not that there's much profit, Mrs. Pearson. Look, Mr. Hogarth, I wonder if you have some white cotton socks that my husband can wear under his regular ones. Mm. His feet are killing him. He's played too much golf and tennis recently. He wears size 11. Oh, well, I will look, but the stock is running low. Uh,
5: you just wait a minute, Mrs. Pearson, and I will see. <laughs>
4: It was later in the evening. Daisy was once again cold-creaming her face in front of the mirror while Quinn watched. After a moment, she spoke. I'm worried about Felix Hogarth. Felix? I think he's having a hard
2: time.
5: Oh, he's so darn generous. Well, the good people get it in the neck and the bad people survive. Take Marion, for instance. She's a little rat. How two-faced can a girl
2: be? Well, it wasn't as if you were in love with her, Quinn. It was only a reflex action. You were 20 again, and she was her mother. Oh, the heck with Marion
5: Hand, her mother. It was a constant yakety-yak on the train going in and coming out. Every bone in my body aches. I haven't read a newspaper for a month, and...
2: Then, on the whole, it was lucky that Vagina dropped in. Hmm? Lucky?
5: (laughs) She didn't drop in, dear. She was invited. You know, I got worried after the first week for fear the kid was, well, taking me seriously. Oh, I wrote Regina and told her so. This Rodney, he's rich and Regina doesn't want to stay in the cosmetic business forever. Enough said?
2: Yes, darling. Quite enough said.
4: Once in a while, the best of us indulge in it, and sometimes with amazing results. It's often better, as Daisy Pearson pointed out, to be your age. Old Felix Hogarth, who owned the town's general store, was being his age with a vengeance. Not only was he facing the prospect of living on borrowed time, he was facing the prospect of losing his store, of having neither an income nor backlog.
1: Again, is Betty Davis.
4: Felix Hogarth knew that his future and his wife's future would be barren unless there were a miracle. He who loved the town and everybody in it, who loved America, his adopted country, was faced with failure. Until then, this is Betty Davis saying goodbye from the Whispering Street.
1: Today's program was written by Margaret E. Sankster. Featured in the cast were Irene Tedrow, Lou Merrill, Anne Whitfield, and D.J. Thompson. Whispering Streets was directed by Gordon T. Hughes and produced by Ted Lloyd. Your announcer is Dan Coverley.